Yeah, make sure we have finally, we did it. The last one, so make sure you grab one. Sparky, better better late than never, but it is done. I was talking theology upstairs with someone who needed to answer your question. So I didn't say a thing. I didn't say a thing. How'd you get the right one? I got the right one. It says uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Malachi. Italian, yes, okay. The Italian prophet. You're supposed to save that joke for next week. I was. Doing I thought that would be unrighteous. Oh, okay. There, it's it's a it's part of the it's part of the. The job as the pastor. Every time you teach Malachi, you have to make it's that joke. It's, it's the, the Italian prophet. Yes, very good, excellent. All right. Well, we have yes, they are kind of similar, but uh, this this is our guy Zechariah on the front, um, and uh, we'll be finishing him up today. Um, so let me go ahead and pray for us uh, as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this Lord's Day. And we thank you for your word. Uh, I pray that as we study it, uh, we would learn more about you. And not just uh, head knowledge, but uh, that uh, we would gain uh, heart uh, knowledge as well. uh, That we would seek to love you more, uh, to live out your word more in our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, just for housekeeping... um, we, uh, as you know, uh, next week was going to be the church retreat, but that uh, was canceled. Um, and so uh, we have an extra week. So we're going to use that extra week uh, for this class. Uh, so uh, we're going to finish Zechariah today. Uh, and uh, if we have time, we'll look at a little bit of Malachi. Otherwise, next week will be Malachi and then kind of wrap up the conclusion of all of it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I will not be here next week. Uh, Jess and I are going to be at a wedding. And, um, and so Sparky will be filling in, wrapping up uh, the series for us. That is also unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are in good hands. He's already made the, the Malachi joke, so that's out of the way. Uh, so, so next week, it'll, it'll just, be, just be actual proper instruction. No flying scrolls, we've got that. We got that out of the way. We've got all the, there might be some more dad jokes here and there. I don't know. Um, but uh, so thank you so much again for the, uh, for being with me in this class has been uh, such a, a privilege and such a great honor to be able to do this and uh, so uh, we're I'm just thrilled it's, it's been great especially for everyone that's been here from day one uh, it's been quite the journey 14 weeks uh, through this so far we're on week 13 uh, today but anyway let's um, we're going to jump into Zechariah kind of where we left off um, and so for this this booklet if you don't have one they're on the table his new one featuring our, our guy, uh, Zechariah, on the cover. Um, and I want to just... Wrong one? Yeah, I want to just point out... Uh, um, yeah, make sure you have the part four on the bottom. Everybody have one? Um, I'm sorry, Mitchell. That's all right. Pastor Lee, you're straight. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, if you look on page, uh, uh, page nine, so page nine has like uh, the has the outline that we've had in most of these things. That that's what we've looked at. Has the night visions. Has some information on the top talking about the night visions and how they're laid out. Um, And. 
and where you can uh, look for more info. And I um, put uh, on uh, page 27 um, in the back, you'll see this little screenshot that I've attached that has a representation of the night visions and how they connect to one another. It's a little small. But if uh, this is from um, a group called the Bible Project. If you have not um, watched any of their videos or used any of their resources, I highly recommend them. There's a link to them. I've linked to each of them for each. They have one for each book of the Bible, and they're in the further reading uh, section. Uh, I have a, the link to where you can find them, but you can find them on YouTube. You can just search for the Bible Project and the book of the Bible. They'll come up. They have a website as well. This is a portion of it. So just to give you an idea, this is excellent. This is so helpful. They do a great job of showing. Um, uh, Tim Mackey is, is uh, one of the, the guys uh, behind the Bible Project. He did, he's just an excellent uh, scholar and pastor and theologian. And uh, he, he does a lot of the design behind these. Not, not just the artistic design, but, but putting, the, putting the story of the books of the Bible together. And... Um, and so I, I, I've benefited a lot from them. I recommend that to you um, to, uh, to see how they, they, um, they help bring the story of, of the Bible to life in a really helpful way. So I recommend that to you. Uh, but we've already looked at those visions. We're going to move on because we could spend forever in Zechariah. I've really been thankful that we've had some extra time to spend in Zechariah. I think that's been really helpful. Uh, but we're going to try to wrap up Zechariah today. And if you'll look at the outline of Zechariah, you'll notice that it really divides um, well, it really divides into two sections. Um, there's, there's five main heading points, but really um, there, there's two sections to Zechariah. The first is his nighttime visions and discussion about those visions uh, chapters uh, 1 through 8. And then chapter 9 uh, through the end um, is its own separate section and it uh, those are divided into two here but it's really one section it's, it's images of the messianic kingdom uh, you'll see that it, I have images of the messianic kingdom part one and then images of the messianic kingdom part two um, nine through eleven and then twelve through fourteen we'll see they both are marked off by uh, the phrase the oracle of the word of the lord uh, that's actually a very specific phrase in the Hebrew Bible that also connects it to Malachi, which we'll see. Uh, but this is the second half of, of Zechariah. So the first half is these really vivid depictions and images of who the Messiah is. And we looked at that. We looked at uh, the kingdom that the Messiah is going to bring uh, with the visions of the four horsemen and the chariots. And then we looked at um, these, these depictions of the exile with the women or the woman in the basket being flown into Babylon as a depiction of, of the wickedness being removed from the land. And we looked at these other visions of uh, how Jerusalem is going to be measured, uh, the flying scroll, uh, how that's going to remove the wickedness from the land. And then obviously all those visions with uh, Zerubbabel and especially Joshua, and then Joshua being crowned. Uh, this depiction of this priest slash king, uh, this one person who embodies both of these offices. Um, that was kind of the first half of the book. And then what we'll see in the, in the second half of the book is uh, less, less vivid uh, images and, and um, uh, visions and more 
what what we've been accustomed to as as prophetic material that we've seen uh, in the other books in the twelve. And these this prophetic material um, has a lot to say about what this uh, Messiah will be and what his kingdom will look like. And so that's what uh, we're going to look at um, today. And the way I'd like to do it is if we turn, um, you know, there's a, uh, I have the same kind of questions in here about the text and how it connects to the, um, to the uh, rest of the 12. But what I'd like to do is jump to page 12 in this booklet, The Biblical and Theological Connections. Uh, the first one here is actually what we did last week when we looked at the passages from Jeremiah and we put some themes up on the board um, about how Jeremiah um, prophesied about the Messiah and how that connected, if you, if you guys remember that, how that connected to Zechariah. So we're going to skip that one. I guess so actually we're going to look at ver- page 13. Um, and we looked, that first question talks about... Um, how Joshua was crowned king. And we talked about how the priest and king uh, were in the same person. So you can look at those passages of scripture uh, more. What I'd like to do is jump to that middle question. So now we're in Zechariah chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there with me. The back half of Zechariah has a lot of, and if you've, you've read through it already, has several uh, passages from there that the New Testament authors quote from uh, a lot of allusions um, to or that the New Testament authors will, will refer back to there's a lot here and so it's a very important section of scripture and so we'll we'll look uh, at these uh, together so this first question um, Zechariah chapter 9 uh, verses 9 and 10 um, and really um, Verse 9. Let me just read this for us and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So, this is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And now, first, before we uh, jump immediately uh, to the New Testament, Let's stick in the Old Testament, and let's let's stick in the Book of the Twelve. So remember, this is one story that's being told, and so look back. I, in the question, I say this this section connects back to Zephaniah and Zechariah chapter two. So jump back to Zechariah chapter two. Chapter 2, verse 10. And so we have the the daughter of Zion uh, again shows up, and she's told to sing and rejoice. And why is she to do that? Because, uh, behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, uh, declares the Lord. And so we see this, this king who's being prophesied to come and riding on the donkey, uh, he's, he's coming to, to dwell in the midst of, of his people. And, uh, and that is a cause for, for rejoicing and for joy. And if we look back at the end of Zephaniah, and remember now in the story, so Zephaniah 
This is this is before the return from exile, so we're we're still looking ahead to this. This is the prophecy of this restoration that's coming, and we have uh, the exact same kind of language uh, in Zephaniah three verse fourteen. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O Israel! Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So we see the exact same kind of language being used in Zechariah nine nine. This uh, rejoice and shout aloud, referring to God's people as the daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem. And here's why Zephaniah says they're to do this in verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. So if we're, if we're taking all these together... What, what's the picture that's being painted of this of this king that's coming, this person that's coming on the on the donkey? What what is he coming to do? What is he coming to accomplish? Take away the judgments. Remove evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's taking away judgments. Uh, he's removing evil. He's uh, cleansing the land. Uh, for just to think of what what that means to remove evil and to, to take away the judgment, uh, to remove any condemnation, uh, to to heal the people. Uh, Zechariah chapter two, he says to to dwell with them. And if you remember, we looked at that. Uh, what that means to dwell. And how that relates to the temple tabernacle theme in scripture. Do you guys remember that conversation? Maybe a little bit here and there. I talked about that uh, briefly with with Haggai because they were rebuilding the temple. um, But that temple was only ever prefiguring the the future temple, which we looked at uh, first. uh, And uh, Jesus refers to his body as the temple. The church is referred to as the temple. So we're being built up into the temple of the Lord. And the Lord is dwelling in our midst. So this is all, all these pictures. It's it's a rich tapestry. We when we think of all this, we want to think of all of that as we think of this this coming King who's who's coming and he's he's coming with righteousness, and he's coming with salvation, and he's going to dwell with his people. So we have that restored relationship. He's going to clear away the iniquity. He's going to remove the evil. Uh, he's going to uh, remove any judgment or condemnation. The same way those, those visions uh, depict that, that woman who represents wickedness, she's, she's brought into the land of, of Babylon. Uh, and it says that she has, there's a place built for her there. As in, that's going to be her permanent residence. She's, she's not leaving there anymore. Wickedness is not going to come back to the land once it's removed. And so this, this uh, picture of this, this coming Messiah, he's going to accomplish this. He's going to, to, uh, to do this. So, so we'll look at Matthew here in a second. Um, but just think, think through, uh, as we're, we're coming to a close, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how the best way to, to, to go about this is. But remember the, 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 uh, the theme verse of, of, the, of the book of the Twelve as a whole. Do you guys remember what that, that 
theme verse is. Hosea 3. Yeah, Hosea 3, verses 4 and 5. So we talked about this, uh, how this really opens up and begins the story of, of the Twelve. The theme of, of judgment and the theme of restoration or mercy. And so chapter 3, verse 4 says, For the children of Israel shall dwell in many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. So there's going to be a period of judgment. That's the historic uh, exile. Um, but uh, in verse 5, it says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so everything that we've, we've heard from that point on has been a commentary, if you will, on, on that verse of what does it look like to seek the Lord? What does it look like that David their king will return and will seek him again? What is this king of, king of David? What is that? Who, does that? Who is that? What does that look like? What are these latter days? What, what are they going to be like? And so we have this, this Messiah figure. And if we remember Joel, um, his, what was his big, his big theme we talked about? It's the main theme of the book of Joel. Day of the Lord. Day of the Lord, yes, exactly. And one of the big um, big promises in Joel is in 2.30 through 32. <coughs> and, uh, and that promise is that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved in this great and terrible day of the Lord. So this is a day of, of judgment and it's a day of mercy. It's a day of mercy for those who are in the Messiah. And so we have these two themes that are going through. The Messiah is going to come. He's going to accomplish all these things. And it's going to happen on this, this day of the Lord. Uh, and, and really the rest of, of the 12 is, is picking up on these themes and expounding upon them. So what does that mean for the New Testament authors? They're aware of, of these themes. They're aware of, of Zechariah. And everything in the book of the 12... Is, is doing um, and the, the story is trying to tell so then jump over with me to, to Matthew's gospel to this, this quote so what, what's the context of Matthew chapter 21 what's, what's happening he's riding in on a donkey he's riding in on a donkey where, where is he going to Jerusalem. he's going into Jerusalem He's going into to Zion, if you will. The daughter of Jerusalem, the daughter of Zion. They're to rejoice. Uh, they're to have joy. And they do. And, and Matthew sees this as a fulfillment of this, this day of the Lord and this Messiah. He's, he's, Matthew's saying, this Jesus of Nazareth, he is the one that was promised. And that's why in Matthew's Gospel he makes it a point to show that genealogy of Jesus to make sure you know, he has, so he has the pedigree of, the, of a son of David and he truly is the son of David that we've been promised, that we've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. 
And so in light of all that, the question I had here, what, what, do, what does that tell us about the gospel writers? Um, that should be an apostrophe. So it's, it's their understanding of Jesus and the offices that Jesus holds. So, so what, are they, what are they telling us? Does that question make sense? What's what's their? How are they understanding Zechariah's prophecy, and and this Jezus? You think Zechariah's referring to the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah? Yeah. And so, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, everything that was depicted in Zechariah's visions. So Zechariah is saying. All these visions point to this Messiah figure. And then in this prophecy in Zechariah 9, the Messiah figure is going to do this. He's going to ride in on a donkey. So, therefore, the person that rides in on the donkey is the person that embodies all these visions. And the the New Testament authors understood that. So when they're saying Jesus fulfills this prophecy, it's not just that specific verse of Zechariah that Jesus fulfills, but it's, it's all of Zechariah that Jesus fulfills. Jesus is everything that Zechariah was was prophesying about. So does that, does that make sense? You know, it's, when we have the New Testament authors quoting from biblical passages, it's, it's not just um, well, that specific verse in that context, but what's the broader meaning of that verse? The broader meaning of that verse is this is the, the person that uh, is being uh, prophesied about is... is is the person that fulfills everything that came before in, in Zechariah. Um, we'll, we'll see more of that as, as we go on to some of the other connections. But um, Any questions about that? Or does that make sense? Yeah. They didn't really get it, though, until after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, John, goes um, <coughs> in Matthew, maybe it's in John. So John also quotes from this, this verse, John chapter 12. So John chapter 12, also the triumphal entry, uh, he also quotes from it. Uh, But then he says, John chapter 12, verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and it had been done to him. Um, that's what I was thinking. I think geopolitically, you think they're thinking in these motifs of Zechariah and this cosmic redemption and these grandiose visions of the prophetic books. When they think of Messiah, Levi, do you think they're thinking, <clears throat> well, you're not exactly sure, but hopefully they'll be able to drive out the Romans at a minimum, right? And then it's only, and even after the resurrection, though, I would even argue that there's some baffling because he says, you know, remember the, the scene there in Acts 1? Will you at this time restore the kingdom? Well, you know, and he more or less says, well, it's not for you really to worry about that, but you will be clothed with power and you'll be my disciples and witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of mine. So, I mean, as far as what do you think they're, they were thinking, you know, when he's right, when, he, when it's happening and then postscript after it's been. It's happened. He's now reflecting back on it and thinking, 
this suffering servant is this glorious Messiah of, of Zechariah mm-hmm. who brings in this cosmic redemption. That, you know, I, I think it causes us some consternation just trying to figure out how is, how is he both the humble servant right. and yet this magnificent king right. and how they're both coinciding in this same one individual Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great it's a great question, a great point. They because they have both of those texts uh, are there present. Right. So um, some of the communities, the the Qumran community, I think we talked about this maybe last week. They 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 said, well, there must be two messiahs. There must be this messiah that suffers, and then there's this messiah that is the conquering king. Because they, we have these texts that Isaiah fifty three, the Zechariah nine, Zechariah thirteen seven. We'll look at the shepherd that struck. Um, how, how, do the, how are those reconciled together? And we have the benefit of, of, um, of foresight or the benefit of, of looking back um, that they, they didn't have a, the concept of, of the two comings of, of the one king. Um, I think we had this chart. This is something that Greg Beald uh, really helps with. Um, kind of Old Testament thought was, was linear where you have uh, suffering and all this persecution, um, but then you have this moment in history where the Messiah comes, and then it's 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 one one straight line of of here's the the kingdom. Uh, so in in that particular time period, it would be the Romans that would be driven out. Um, the Messianic kingdom would be restored. Uh, temple. Um, all of these, all these benefits of Messiah would happen, and then this would go on into the end of time. But what what actually happens is uh, that that um, history branches off. Um, so we hit this point of the Messiah, um, and we we see that the um, it's it's a two tiered system almost. Um, so we have this. Uh, we have suffering and persecution, uh, and these these things continue because we're living in an already and not yet. Uh, so the Messiah came, and his his kingdom is is here. the The temple is being uh, built. The temple being the church. The temple being Jesus being <coughs> the chief cornerstone. Uh, but we still have uh, suffering. Uh, there is still sin. Uh, there is still uh, in that time period, the Roman Empire <laughs> was still in charge. God's people were still uh, um, uh, enslaved under foreign rule, but this is a spiritual kingdom that has been established, and Christ is presently reigning. And then at the, the end day, um, when he returns, this is the first coming, and at his second coming is when that spiritual kingdom, that spiritual uh, um, temple, as it will, will be made physical and manifest in the world. He will come again. He'll make all things new, new heavens and new earth. Um, there, won't, there will not be a rebuilt temple because God is the temple in that vision and revelation. So he's not coming to restore uh, uh, ethnic nation of Israel, as it were, um, but he, he will come and dwell with his people of all nations, which we've seen throughout. Um, but that, that's at his second coming where he, he comes as the conquering king as opposed to the, the king riding in on a donkey, humble and afflicted, the suffering servant. Um, so th- this, this concept of this, this already but not yet uh, reality that we live in um, 
we just didn't have a and uh, did not have that that concept back then because we saw more of a, a linear uh, timeline. And so this is helpful for us when we see this because there's parts of, of Zechariah that have been fulfilled in Zechariah 9. Jesus did have that triumphal entry as a word. Um, but there's parts that have, have not been fulfilled because uh, the kingdom has been inaugurated and it exists but it hasn't been consummated yet. He hasn't returned and he hasn't, he hasn't driven out all wickedness and all sin and all evil. Um, does, that, does that make sense? That's that's a key key thing to keep in mind. Um, that that we're we're living in the end times. Uh, the the final day has not come. So that there is one sense in which we we are living in the day of the Lord. If we think of day referring to a period of time, uh, this is the time period in which um, these people are prophesying because the Messiah has come and he's he's died on the cross. And he's risen again. And so to your sermon a few weeks ago, on, or Easter, I guess, was that last, last week? week? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's... Three months ago. Yeah, it's, it's all blurred to me. But Jesus is the first for yeah. us. The resurrection is a, is a present reality, just as much as it is a future reality. So, Help us think, think in the line, along the lines of kiosks. We all know what a kiosk is. We've all gone to the mall and said, I need to get to the Apple store. Where is it? So we go to the kiosk, and you are here. Mm-hmm. So on the schematic that Beal has made, it's very helpful for us in understanding uh, you know, the eschatology of the New Testament. Point to what, where we are. I think we hope. Well, think we're, we're, just, we're after this. We're, we're in this area. Yeah, but yeah. we're living in, in both of these realities, tensions. Yeah. Right. Uh, the not yet and the already. Right. This is the this is the man in Romans seven. Not what I want to do, I don't do that. What I don't want to do is the very thing that I do. Who will deliver me? So this still battling with the flesh and the new man, and it kind of coincides with this coming sermon you're going to hear today. Is that we're living out this reality in this present evil age, but they're both coinciding and mm-hmm. moving towards this ultimate climax of the second coming. Right. But that tension will be alleviated then, but not until then. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is huge. This is massive yeah. in really understanding sanctification. Um, yeah. it's, it's huge. So I think... Um, well, let's just keep... So these are... The questions are in order of how they go through in Zechariah. Um, and and I think that it even tells a story um, as we go through it. So we have this um, in Zechariah chapter nine and chapter ten. We have some prophecy and some prophetic material about uh, this Messiah. He he he'll, he'll come riding on a donkey, which is a symbol of of kingship. Um, and uh, uh, Solomon rides on David's donkey or David's mule down to his coronation and uh, so, Je- so Jesus is seen this that, that's what Zechariah is prophesying is that's David's son is going to be riding on a donkey just like David's earthly son did and uh, and he will be coming to be crowned king uh, the difference though that this is again that difference he's coming to be crowned king but it's a crown of thorns at first um, that he's crowned with and that's why it's a foolishness to the Gentiles a stumbling block 
uh, to the Jew, uh, to the Jews, but um, for those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Um, but anyway, let's let's jump forward then to chapter 11 of Zechariah, and then we have this really strange um, episode where Zechariah is is uh, told to become a shepherd of a flock doomed to slaughter, and uh, we have this strange little episode uh, in Zechariah's life. Um, Now there's some the best way to do this. We we understand that shepherd imagery is very very important in scripture. So we, we know that there's a lot of passages of scripture that talk about uh, shepherd uh, in in uh, the book of the twelve specifically. Uh, back in uh, Micah, uh, we're told about how the how the king the Messiah is going to come from from Bethlehem, and we're told that he's going to be. Uh, a shepherd of his people, so part of part of this Messiah, part of his his job description, if you will, is to be a shepherd. That's in Micah chapter five, um, verses one through four. Have that uh, prophecy about him coming from Bethlehem and being a shepherd. And obviously, Jesus <coughs> describes himself as a good shepherd in John chapter ten. So here we have the shepherd imagery that shows up, and. Um, and basically, uh, Zechariah is is being a shepherd, but the people uh, are are uh, not not listening to him, he, and he's he's fed up, and uh, so he he um, uh, in verse twelve, um, we're just going to jump through this quickly. He says, "Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them." Um, so he's he's telling his his uh, the people he's working for, I, "I'm done." Uh, I would like to be paid and go on my way. Uh, if you don't want to pay me, that's also fine. But I'm, I'm putting in my uh, two-week notice, <laughs> effective two weeks ago, <laughs> retroactively. Uh, I'm done. Um, and so it says, and they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver, not an uh, unimportant amount of silver. Uh, then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Okay. So Matthew alludes to this amount. You already know where I'm going, so let's let's jump there. 30 pieces of silver. Who is that associated with? Judas. It's with Judas, exactly. So Matthew 26, um, Judas uh, um, talks to the chief priests. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. What you give me if I deliver them to you? They gave, they paid him out, weighed out for him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment on, he sought an opportunity. And then, uh, this is actually quoted. Matthew quotes this in chapter twenty-seven. This is after Judas does betray him. Uh, let me uh, read this portion of chapter twenty-seven, uh, starting in verse three. Uh, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, uh, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Um, so they took counsel and bought with them uh, the potter's field as a burial place for start. No, I jumped down. Wait, I jumped down a lot. Sorry. Uh, I betrayed innocent blood. Verse 4. They said, 
what is that to us? See to it yourself. Uh, verse 5, And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price on him whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So, the question, what significance, if any, what, what's the connection here between Judas' betrayal of Jesus, Zechariah's symbolic shepherding of the flock doomed to be slaughtered, uh, It's kind of a fascinating how that all works out, but initial thoughts or questions or anything about this passage. Hmm. Are you thinking here of rejection of the shepherd? Yeah. And yeah, I think it's not, this prophecy, not so much um, Judas's betrayal as much as the, the, the people of Israel uh, embodied by the chief priests of the day, they're rejecting the good shepherd of Jesus. And this 30 pieces of silver um, uh, is, is the, the commonality between these two stories to show this, this fulfillment of this this passage in Zechariah, uh, which is is very interesting. Let me um, I think I have a quote that I wanted to read. Um, if I could find it. Um, so this is um, this is Michael Shepard's book. Uh, he wrote a larger commentary on the 12 that I've been using a lot for this class. Uh, in this book, he just takes the prophecies that the New Testament authors use, or their quotations that the New Testament authors use from the book of the 12, and he talks about them. Um, and it's a good book. It's a little te- more technical, but I, do, I would recommend it. Uh, but he says, Matthew does not see this text that we just read. Uh, he does not see this as a prophecy of Judas's betrayal, but a prophecy of the dismissal of the good shepherd, who is Jesus, by the people who are represented by the chief priests. Um, the payment of 30 pieces of silver serves the same purpose in both texts. Uh, so the, the connection is that the people in Zechariah's time, this, this whole episode of him serving as a shepherd, the people rejected him, the good shepherd. And that's exactly what the chief priests who represent the people in Jesus' day, they rejected Jesus, who is the good shepherd. I also, um, and I'm just going to keep moving, um, but it says, or I asked, why, you, why do you think Matthew says that this prophecy is from Jeremiah? It's an interesting one. Did you notice that as we read it? Maybe because Jeremiah was more well-known. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the one who was a seedbed, the 12. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we've, we've already highlighted that there's a lot of connections to Jeremiah and the Twelve. And I don't think those are missed by the New Testament authors, especially Matthew and these other uh, Jewish people who knew their, knew their Hebrew Bible very well. Um, so it's similar to uh, uh, in the beginning of Mark, where Mark attributes uh, that prophecy to Isaiah, even though he, he combines a couple different uh, portions, but considers Isaiah as the head of, of the prophets. Similar thing happening here. Either Matthew considers Jeremiah to be the head of the prophets, as it were, or a seedbed or a representative figure of what's being talked about here in Zechariah. And, um, and so I think that's uh, most likely what, what's uh, going on there. But just something interesting. It's not that it's, uh, it's a mistake. Um, I know some people maybe can think that, well, here's, a, here's an example of a discrepancy. I'm trying to think of... Um, you know, you use a textbook in class, and maybe it has several authors on the textbook. They all contributed to it, but just to keep it simple, you maybe refer to that textbook by its by one of the authors or the first author that's listed there. Um, I used a Old Testament textbook by Dr. Bill Arnold and um, some others, and I can't remember all their names. But we just always refer to the text as turn in turn in your copy of Arnold to page whatever. Well, there's there's three or four different authors on that textbook, but we just refer to it short shorthand instead of <laughs> instead of listing every single author's last name. We just refer to one of them. So something similar going on here. Well, wasn't Jeremiah you know, big theme was the rejection of the people? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why he was the leading prophet. Yeah, so that's that, a great that point. Like yeah, it's a great point. Absolutely. All right, well, let's jump from there to the next one. Um, so it's, it's really interesting, and there's so much more we could do on this, how Zechariah's um, portrait of the, of the Messiah, uh, it, uh, it tells the same story that the, the Gospels are telling. Jesus rides on a donkey, then he's rejected and betrayed. And now in Zechariah chapter 12, we have the connection to his crucifixion and his death. So it's Zechariah is giving us a story of, of Jesus' passion, his, the passion of the Christ is being told uh, through Zechariah the prophet. And so if you look now to Zechariah chapter 12, Excuse me, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And then question points us over to John chapter 19. Um, if you'll look over there with me now. So John chapter 19. Uh, beginning in verse 31. So uh, since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, 
the Jews asked Pilate uh, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, uh, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it uh, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. So John... That last line, obviously, that's from our passes in in Zechariah. So what's John doing here? Oh, I was just going to say, showing that he's a scholar. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. John knows the scripture. Yeah. So what other passage, if you have a... If you have footnotes in your in your uh, Bible, you might see a footnote for that first one. Not one of his bones will be broken. Um, I listed them in the booklet there, but the ESV has that quote from Exodus twelve forty six and Numbers nine twelve. Um, also shows up. This is a type. I'm sorry, by the way. Psalm thirty four. It should be verse twenty, um, not twenty one. It should be verse twenty. So obviously, John's quoting Zechariah. He's saying this this verse in Zechariah is pointing to the Messiah, specifically um, the one who is pierced is this Jesus. But what, what are the other? What's the context of these other passages? Passover lamb. Same to be. To be in that night, right? All of it. Mm-hmm. And specifically, his bones were not to be broken. Numbers 9 has the same command about the Passover. So, this is key. John's emphasis, one of his key emphasis, emphases, uh, he's adamant to show his audience that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Like that, that's, his, that's his primary goal. And in having this section, is this Jesus, uh, who is the good shepherd, uh, who is the king, he also serves this priestly function as the sacrifice, as the Passover lamb. Uh, And these prophecies that he's pointing to, um, he's the one who is pierced, and he is the one who does not have a bone that is broken because he is the Passover lamb. He's fulfilling the requirements of the, the the Mosaic law regarding the Passover lamb and that meal. And Jesus fulfills those requirements even in his own body. And uh, so that, that's John's, his, his emphasis here. Uh, more than any of the other Gospels, um, though they, they do, uh, they would all agree, um, they do agree, but John really is wanting to emphasize this important point. Uh, that he is the Passover So any any questions or thoughts on that one?
or just have a little less than 10 minutes left. Um, so let's jump over to page 15 in the booklet. And let's look at one of the final main, um, one of the final main uh, prophecies that the New Testament authors picked up on. And that's from Zechariah chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. Um, Zechariah 13, verses 7 through 9 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So that should, does that ring anybody's, uh, ring, ring a bell? Um, the minor prophet spider sense, spidey sense going off. Um, what does that last phrase remind us of? Thomas. Yes, exactly. What were you going to say? I was just going to say uh, Thomas when he sees Jesus. Oh, yeah. And he says those two, you know, my Lord and my God. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but this is um, the promise in Hosea. Um, the people who are not my people, they will now be called my people. And I will say to them, you are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. Uh, so we see a, a callback again, back to, back to the promises in Hosea. Uh, but um, before we get into all that, uh, let's look over at how Matthew and, and Mark um, use these. And, and actually, well, it's Jesus himself who is, um, who is quoting um, this, uh, this prophecy concerning himself. So this is uh, the night when Jesus was betrayed, Matthew 26, verse 30. Um, they had had the, their, their last supper. Uh, and the institution of the Lord's Supper, and then verse 30, they go, as they sing a hymn, they go to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me uh, this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's the quote. But then Jesus says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter, uh, I will not fall away. Uh, Jesus foretells that Peter will deny him three times. And we, and we do know that, that Jesus' disciples, they, they are scattered and they do flee. Um, and so why was this a fitting prophecy for Jesus uh, to quote from at this time? Well, this is, this is the moment where his people do flee from him. But what does Jesus promise his disciples that he'll do, do immediately after uh, this, that quote? So what does he promise he's going to do in verse 32? Yeah, so he's going to to see them again. He's going to go before them, and he will be with them again. And the and so, how does that promise connect back to Zechariah thirteen verse nine? The implication is that Jesus, he's the shepherd, right? He's the shepherd who is struck. 
Um, but he's going to go before them, and the implication is that he's going to bring this, this remnant that Zechariah talks about here um, that are going to be refined in the refiner's fire. Um, but they are going to... Um, he's, he's going to restore them, and then he's going to use them to give them that, that commission to go out and to uh, be his, his disciples and him, his ambassadors... Uh, who are going to bring the rest of the remnant back to himself, back to Jesus. In other words, they're going to go out and they're going to build the church, which will uh, be of, of all nations, uh, of, all, of all peoples. But that's going to start with Jesus um, meeting them in Galilee and restoring them, including uh, Thomas and, and all the disciples. Um, and then we see that, that that's a fulfillment of of everything that we've seen before in the book of the Twelve, with, with the promise of Hosea, that they'll be my people, I'll be their God. And also we get an allusion to, um, I think Joel as well, in the Zechariah 13.9, they'll call upon my name and I'll answer them. Um, Joel 2.30-32, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's all from all the nations. And so the, the book of Acts shows how that, that works, how that happens. They the gospel spreads first in um, Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and then into all the, all the earth. And all who call upon the name of the Lord uh, are saved and will be saved. And this is the, the remnant of, of the, the people that Zechariah uh, talks about here. So any, any questions about, uh, about that, that one? And how the New Testament authors understood it, and uh, or any other thoughts in general as we kind of wrap up here. Either it was everything I said was very clear, uh, or nothing I said was clear, and we're we're just all still in fog. I, I'm still in a fog of it myself. There's so much. Even this second half of Zechariah, um, maybe maybe one time we'll be able to do just a class on Zechariah. That'd be good. Yeah. So this is just a thought, and often I don't know. Um, I'm, this sounds the in chapter twelve the. Whom they have pierced is pretty self-explanatory, but could it also? My question is, could it also mean something like at the sem- a second coming? You know, when you know all flesh, like in Isaiah, you know, when uh, the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. Like for the Jewish people who did not believe, you know, and they see him, and they're reminded of their fathers, what they'd done to him, you know. And they weep and lament, but it's too late. Mm. Um, it's just a question. It's not like it's... I know it's pretty self-explanatory that it's talking about the crucifixion, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like in a you know, second coming sense. Well, yeah, there, there's a lot there. And uh, we didn't look at it, but if you jump down to um, verse 11 right after that, um, it talks about the... Uh, uh, the, uh, 
on that day, the morning of Jerusalem will be as great as the morning of Hadad Ramon and the plain of Megiddo. And uh, so that's the, um, John and his revelation will will bring that up when you talk about the land of Armageddon. We've heard about that, this, this depiction of this final great battle. And that that's the Armageddon, or maybe you've heard it pronounced Harmageddon with an H. Uh, that's the, the mountain of Megiddo. That's what it. That's what he's referring to. Uh, Har is the Hebrew word for mountain, and um, so so that's a. There's there's a lot um, to, kind of an eschatological understanding of, of this as well, is uh, what um, to answer your question. Um, you know, it's it's difficult uh, to exactly. I think. It's hard. Yeah, it's okay. It's hard. It's hard. And I don't know if I have a full understanding of it. I think uh, it's, we didn't look at the last chapter of Zechariah, but this chapter 14 does have a lot of that kind of, of final um, eschatological significance. Um, and, and one of the thoughts I have just in our discussion today is, is seeing how chapters 9 through 14 tell the story of of. Jesus's life and ministry, of his his um, coming uh, triumphal entry to his betrayal, uh, crucifixion, and abandonment, but then his coming again, and now chapter fourteen talking about this this great final day of the Lord, as in that that end date, whatever day this is, where he comes again, um, and and accomplishes and consummates everything that he's inaugurated. In this already but not yet time period, um, and that's the last question, the the application question here. Uh, I just I pull out um, chapter or uh, chapter fourteen verse eight. Uh, On that day, living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, um, and uh, verse nine, the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and His name one. So a lot, a lot's happening there, but but that living water or the water flowing from Jerusalem—that's a that's a huge theme. Obviously, Jesus talks about himself being the the living water, and uh, if you're thirsty, come to me, and uh, I'll give you uh, living water, uh, water that wells up to eternal life, and um, and so so much of this is is uh, embodied in in uh, Jesus, and and a lot of this. Uh, exists now, like we, we do have that benefit of, of life and life abundantly in Christ. Like that's not just a future reality; it is a present reality. Uh, but there is a sense in which um, uh, we will be made like Him, like He is, glorified like Him. And we we don't know what that will be, what that will look like, but but we know that that is our what's in store for us. That is our future that's promised for us because of the present reality of Christ's finished work and our union with Him. That last day for the believers already occurred. The path, the future, is invaded the present. When he rises in, in John nineteen thirty one, it is finished. The last day for the believer has already occurred. There is no more judgment. It's been exhausted. So to your point, but it's that tension. Though mm-hmm. so positionally, this is true of me. Yet I still find myself sinning. You know, deal struggling with the same besetting sins. How you know? How do we make sense of what is according to God's word and what I'm circumstantially and providentially currently going through? Yeah. They're both true simultaneously. <laughs> yep. It's just amazing. Um, 
that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. That's part of the struggle from just my preliminary looking at Malachi. Yeah. The people have the promises, but they're not seeing them <laughs> this way fleshed out. And right. so they're going through motions. Yeah. They're religious. But the spirituality that's why it's a series of questions. Yeah. And where, Levi, where, where have we where have we Right. Levi's quote, quoting first uh first Corinthians one, right? The Jews ask for signs. Okay, so you say this Jesus is Messiah. He's reigning. Okay. I'm looking at Ukraine. I'm looking at uh, Somalia. I'm looking at my own life. Uh, connect the dots. You know, and then the Greeks ask for wisdom. Okay, so connect it for me that way. You, you can't. But the just shall live by what? Habakkuk, yeah. right? Back to Habakkuk. Yeah. God is at work. We just we live by word. We live by ear gate, not by eye gate. Right? I mean and it's amazing. Yeah. Though we've not seen him, we love him. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Amen, brother. All right. Well thank you guys so much. Um Sparky will take it from here next week with Malachi. I'm sorry I can't be here for that. That'll be a good uh, good discussion. But uh <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fine. It'll be good. But thank you guys so much. Thanks for letting me go over a little bit today.